Great. Well, morning, everyone. It's good to be together to sing again, isn't it? And it's good to be together, as always, uh, with God's word open. So please do uh, refine your Bibles if you pop them to one side uh, and open them up at Luke chapter five. That'll be great as we think about this first encounter. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word to us. Thank you for these different encounters that we're going to see in Luke's gospel real lives that are changed by Christ. And Father, our prayer is we, as we come to your word now that we would encounter Christ either for the first time or we would encounter him afresh in your word, that we might see more of you and that we might become more like you. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. <clears throat> well, this morning, as you've uh, heard already, we begin this new series in Luke's gospel called Encounters with Christ. And here's the little strap line that we're going to be coming back to over the next six weeks. See it up there on the screen. When people meet Jesus, they are changed by Jesus. Let me say that again. When people meet Jesus, they are changed by Jesus. Not not in superficial ways, not just a, a slight shift in moral behavior. But when people meet the real Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of the scriptures, who steps off the pages of the Bible into our hearts, he does indeed change hearts and transform eternities. And so our prayer, our our simple prayer at the beginning of this series is that through the teaching of God's word here on a Sunday and through the subsequent witness of this church, people who have met the Lord Jesus Christ for themselves, But others, other men, other women, other boys, other girls, people in our communities and people beyond our communities would encounter Christ for themselves. That they too might know that joy of walking with the Lord Jesus daily through this life all the way to heaven. Well, our first encounter in Luke chapter 5 takes place down by the shores of the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Gennesaret as Luke calls it in his gospel. Have a look down, if you would, at verse 1, which is a verse that sets the scene for this remarkable encounter that's about to take place. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding round him and listening to the word of God. Or more literally, the people were pressing in around, squeezing in around Jesus. Such was their appetite to hear the word of God. It'd be lovely, wouldn't it, to see that replicated today? Churches overflowing with people who are hungry to hear God's word, pressing in around to listen to the Bible taught and our, our Savior proclaimed. Well, that's what's happening in verse one. And in fact, the crowds get so big that Jesus needs to find a new way of being heard. So what does he do, verse two? Well, he borrows a boat, he jumps into it, he's pushed out a little way from shore, and he spends the rest of the morning teaching these crowds from his new floating pulpit as his voice carries out and can be heard across the waters. And did you notice in verse 3 who the boat belonged to? He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. And it's that little introduction there that sets up this remarkable encounter that follows. And we're going to look at it under three headings, the first of which is this, 
the command of Jesus. Verse 4. When he had finished speaking, i.e. when he had finished addressing the crowds, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets. As we see so often in the Gospels, Jesus' ministry is public and expansive. He speaks to the crowd. He addresses the masses. Yet at the same time, his ministry is also personal and intimate. And so as the crowds disperse, Jesus now homes in on Simon Peter. And what a remarkable command it is, isn't it? Verse 4, he said to Simon, note an experienced fisherman. He says to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Jesus is telling Simon how to fish. We have a humble carpenter slash preacher from Nazareth, telling a pro-fisherman from Galilee how to do his job. Imagine how Simon must have been thinking. Thanks, Jesus, but no thanks. You know what, fishing, that's my domain. This is my world. You want to talk to me about carpentry or the Bible? That's fine. That's your world. Fishing, though, is my world, and it's a world that I know very well indeed. In fact, Jesus... You'd be stupid, wouldn't you, to go out fishing in the day? Every fisherman knows that in the day, in a place like this, the fish will go down into the cooler waters because it's too hot on the surface. You've got no chance of catching a fish in the day. Everything in Simon Peter's head must have been wanting to dismiss the words of Jesus. They just wouldn't have made sense to an experienced fisherman. Yet, despite his initial reluctance, Simon does what Jesus says, verse 5. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Not even a little nibble. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Because you say so. Against all his natural instincts, contrary to all those years of fishing experience on this very sea, Peter gets back into his boat and he throws out his nets again. Why? Because Jesus says so. It's a scene that brings us right to the heart of Christian discipleship. You see, being a follower of Jesus isn't about trusting in your own wisdom your own feelings, or, or falling back on your own experience. It's about trusting in the words of Jesus and doing what Jesus says, however inconvenient that may be. And trust me, it was pretty inconvenient for Simon, wasn't it? Been fishing all night. Now he spent the morning cleaning his nets as he listens to Jesus after a long, hard night shift with nothing to show for it. And now Jesus says, Peter, time to get your nets dirty again. that's Christian discipleship, isn't it? Against all that's going on in your own head, sometimes the life that you want to pursue or the things that you want to do, to be a follower of Jesus is to listen to him and to follow his path instead. And look at the result in verse 6. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. Boys, come on in. We're going under it. Look at the fish. They're everywhere. Nets are full. Nets are breaking. Come and give us a hand. And the other boat comes over and they, they start filling that boat so that both boats 
are beginning to sink. It's not a bad return, is it? And the question we must ask ourselves is this. Why was the command of Jesus so effective? Answer, because the command of Jesus is the command of the creator. The one who in the beginning said, let there be, and there was. Let there be stars in the sky, and there was. Let there be land, and there was. Let there be seas, and there was. Let those seas be filled with fishes, and it was so. And the one who filled the seas with fishes is the one who controls the very paths that they take. And it's in that moment that Simon realizes his eyes are opened to the reality that Jesus Christ is far more than just a preacher from Nazareth. He's the Lord, and he's the Lord of heaven and earth. And so we move from the command of Jesus to the conviction of Peter in verse 8. Look at his response. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. You can imagine Peter stood there in amazement. Tries to process what's happening. He looks at these two boats that are sinking under the weight of the fish and, and he looks back to Jesus. And he looks back to the boats. And he looks back to Jesus. And the jigsaw begins to fall into place. Did you notice how Simon addresses Peter in these verses? The change of title from verse 5 to verse 8. In verse 5, Simon addresses Jesus as master, and it is a term of great respect. But in verse 8, he bows before him as Lord. What's changed? Well, in that moment, his whole view of God has changed. As he sees this miraculous catch of fish, and he looks at Jesus who has given the command. And what he sees is the majesty of God, the majesty of the creator manifest in the person of Jesus Christ who is stood before him. And all he can do in that moment is to fall at the feet of Jesus in humility, in awe, and in worship. And it's the same response, isn't it, that we see throughout the scriptures when different individuals are commissioned by God. Think of the call of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, do you remember those verses? Let me read them to you. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on his throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. It is a glorious vision of the holiness and the majestic power of God. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two, they covered their feet, and with two, they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. It is a vision of the holiness and the greatness and the glory of God. And the response of Isaiah, remember how he responds? Woe to me, 
Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among the people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And so it was for Peter. He's seen the Lord, the King Almighty. Isaiah in that moment does not even feel worthy to be in God's presence, let alone on his team. And it's exactly the same, isn't it, for Simon Peter? There is a right sense of unworthiness in this moment before God. Yet in the same breath, that's exactly the people that Jesus wants on his team. Those who've been humbled by the greatness and the glory of God. You see, that sense of smallness that Simon felt isn't something that actually becomes an obstacle to serving Jesus. In fact, it is the starting point for a life of committed service. All faithful service of Jesus begins with a right view of God and a right view of self. And that brings us lastly to the call, doesn't it? We have the command of Jesus. We have the deep conviction of Peter. And then lastly, we have the call to follow Jesus as we join him in his mission to his world. Have a look at verse 10. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Those must have been beautiful words to hear, mustn't they? As Simon kneels before Jesus, not quite sure what's going to happen next. His whole world has just been flipped upside down. And you can imagine the Lord stretching out an arm and putting it on Simon's shoulder as he lays out this new future before him. Simon, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. You see, the call to follow Jesus means a new job description for Simon. Still in the fishing business, right? But he's no longer fishing for fish. Instead, he is catching people for the kingdom of God. His tools are no longer nets and lines, but proclamation and prayer. And for the rest of Simon Peter's life, he will cast out that gospel net in order to bring in the lost. And of course, that's the story of the book of Acts, isn't it, that follows Luke part two, the book of Acts. And by the time we get to Acts chapter two, the Lord Jesus has died on a cross for our sin to bring beautiful forgiveness. He's been raised again to new life to conquer death. He's ascended into glory and he has poured out his spirit on his church. And as Peter, the same Peter we meet in Luke chapter five, as Peter now preaches the gospel in the power of the spirit, 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 lost souls were brought in, saved through the preaching of Peter. What a glorious day that must have been. But as we celebrate Acts chapter 2, and as we celebrate what God continues to do in people's lives today, let's not forget that Acts chapter 2 begins in Luke chapter 5. You see, every fruitful ministry can be traced back to a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. It's the point of the mustard seed, isn't it, in Luke chapter 13. Big, glorious finishes begin with something so small. 
conviction, conversion, transformation of one soul. Through the preaching and the work of the Spirit of God in his life, thousands come to know Christ. Imagine someone coming up to Peter at the end of that day in Acts chapter 2. Marvellous day, isn't it? And imagine them saying to, to, to Peter then, how was it you caught so many? How come so many people got saved? And Peter's response would have been something like this. In the same way, I caught all those fish back in Galilee. Not according to my own ability, but according to the power and authority of Jesus Christ. We pray, we go, we proclaim. But it's Jesus Christ who saves. It's he who gathers people in to himself. Now, of course, in many ways, the role of Peter and the role of the apostles was unique to them. But in other ways, it's, it's a role that, that should be played out within God's people. We should see something of that heart and that calling to mission played out in the church today. We're all called to be fishers of men. Jesus gave the great commission to all who would come after those first disciples. So come rain or shine, whatever the weather Whatever's going on in our life, whatever season of life we may be in, we're called to throw out the gospel net. We're called to speak of our Savior and see who the Lord Jesus in his kindness brings in. You see, the call to follow Jesus is a call to fish for Jesus. It's the same thing. The call to follow is a call to fish. And so if you're a Christian here this morning, that too is the same job description that you've been given. Have a look at these two pictures on the screen. Got a cruise ship on the left, which is a picture of comfort and luxury. And we've got a fishing trawler on the right, which is a picture of functionality and solidarity. Nothing about comfort is there on a fishing trawler. It's not about the experience. It's not about the entertainment. It's there to do a job. It's there to go out on the rough seas and to catch fish. Now, let me ask you a question. Which of those two pictures do you think best describes the church today? We're on cruise control. Lying back on our deck chairs, supping our pina coladas as we, as we drift through life, enjoying all the good things that God gives us. Or are we fully committed to the hard and often discouraging work of fishing for people. When the net goes out, like it did for Simon Peter that first time, and nothing comes back in. I'd love to say that I'm more like the picture on the right, yet so often I think I'm more like the cruise ship on the left. Not so with Peter, James, and John. Have a look at verse 11. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. How easy it would have been for them to be distracted by the huge catch of fish. I mean, this was the, the biggest catch of fish in the history of the world. They had a tiny fortune piled up before them in those two boats. This could have been the beginning of something bigger, a new fishing enterprise that has set them up for life, security for their families, a growing reputation around Galilee, but they didn't get distracted 
by the catch. In fact, they left it there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee in the same place that they left their nets and their boats. And they followed Jesus, leaving everything behind in order to join him in his mission in fishing for people. Now, the application of Luke chapter 5 isn't that we all leave our day jobs and go into full-time paid Christian ministry. That's not the point of Luke chapter 5. The point is this, wherever the Lord God has placed you right now, in that place, you are to give yourselves fully, wholeheartedly, and unreservedly to the mission of Jesus. Or to put it another way, it's to commit to going fishing. Fishing in your families. Fishing in your workplace. Fishing in your schools. Fishing in your communities. Fishing, 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 wherever the Lord has placed you right now. And as we do that, as we give ourselves to that cause and to that end, We need to be prepared to lay aside everything, all things for the sake of the cause of Christ. As one commentator said, not every disciple is called to leave everything in precisely the same way as Peter, James and John. But every disciple must, however, place everything at the disposal of Jesus. I wonder, are all your things at the disposal of Jesus? Of Jesus Christ. As one of my old mentors used to say, when it comes to evangelism, you need to engage your credit card and your calendar. Time and money, time and money, time and money. How are you going to spend your time? How are you going to spend your money? And are you going to spend both those things in such a way as to advance the cause of Christ? You see, Jesus didn't leave heaven and come into this world and die on a cross in order to give us something worthwhile to do on a Sunday. He left heaven, came into this world and shed his own blood with such love for the people of this world in order to reorientate our entire beings around him and his saving work. At the cross. That's the point, isn't it? Of this first encounter. Simon meets Jesus. And his life is never the same again. Every aspect of his being reorientated. Around the mission of Jesus. I imagine most of you are familiar with the name Bill Shankly. Old Liverpool football manager. Who was renowned for his commitment to his club. Well, towards the end of his career, this is something that he said, I've devoted all my life to football. Everything has been thrown overboard for it. Everything Bill Shankly did, thought and said was tied to that football club. So much so that when he died, his ashes were scattered on the pitch itself. And that's just football. It's football. That's all it is. How much more so should it be with us when it comes to our commitment to our Saviour? I wonder, are we prepared to throw everything overboard? Everything. 
every personal worldly dream and aspiration for ourselves and our children, our comforts, our luxuries? Are we prepared to, to, to loosen our grip on the things of this world and, if necessary, throw it overboard for the sake of the supremacy of Jesus Christ? As the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, what is more, I consider everything, there it is again, everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish in comparison, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law by works, but that which is by faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And so as we close, can I say to you, there is nothing, there is nothing more precious in life than knowing Jesus Christ. And for Simon Peter, that journey began one very normal morning down by the Sea of Galilee as he was washing his fishing nets. I wonder on a very normal, regular morning in so many ways, yes, we're singing again, brilliant. But in every other way, it's a pretty normal Sunday morning, isn't it? I wonder, will this Sunday morning be a significant turning point for each of us, whether it's saying yes to Jesus for the first time, or whether for others it's saying, Lord, I, with your help, I want to renew my commitment to you that every ounce of my being would be given to your cause and to your mission in view of your glory. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that when people meet Jesus, they are changed by Jesus. Thank you for this encounter that you have shown us in your word this morning. And Father, we thank you how you changed Simon Peter from an idle bystander, listening in as he cleaned his fishing nets after a pretty disappointing night's work. And you transformed his heart, you changed his life. You turned him around completely so that he gave all things in his weakness and his frailty to your cause, that he was willing to lay aside that catch his boat, his livelihood, his work, and to place it all to one side in order that he might follow you wherever that took him as he committed to your mission of fishing for people and bringing others into your kingdom to know you and love you forever. Father, whatever that looks like for us this morning, whatever the particular conviction that you've laid on your heart, on our heart, sorry, I pray that you'd help us to listen to think about it and to pray about it, that we too might be challenged and changed from a fresh encounter with Jesus Christ this morning. And we pray it for his glory. Amen.